0: Victory in Exodus. So um, we continue our, mm-hmm. our series in the book of Exodus. We've made it all the way to seven, chapter 17. This is I think the 27th message uh, in the book of Exodus. Uh, so we've called it victory in Exodus because there are foundational principles that are learned here in exodus that we provide our life have a victorious christian life but also lay the groundwork for the victories that we come in the book of joshua and so um so we as is our um i guess i'll say our plan our protocol in this series we will look at the situation the struggle and the victory the situation the struggle the victory today we will be in exodus chapter one Or or chapter seventeen, I'll get it. Verses one through seventeen. So Exodus seventeen, one through seventeen. We won't read every verse, but we will be pulling uh, sections out of of this of this as as we progress. So, uh, sorry, victory and decision that will make sense as we wrap up. Victory and decision. So, the situation, verse 1 and all the congregation and the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord in and it's and Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. I think I've read this story before, just a few chapters ago in another, another place. So, I pushed the button, but that didn't happen. Ah. Did you advance it? Mm mm. Okay. So third time is a charm. There was no water in Mara when they get there, or at least the the water was there was no drinkable water. Probably should have had that there. No drinkable water in Mara in Exodus fifteen. And God tells Moses to cast a tree in the water and it becomes sweet. So we saw that the, the the children of Israel were murmuring. And then there was no food in the wilderness of sin in Exodus uh, 16, and God provides quail and manna. So this time they get to know water and Rephidim. They've got this. They've learned the lesson. They know what to do and don't do it again. <laughs> so the third time is a charm, uh, just like in John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, we know that Peter is interacting with the Lord after his failures, his his denials of Christ. I, man, there's, there's times when you go before the principal, it's a hard conversation. You have to sit down with Jesus, who you are like, I don't know who he is. I don't even know who that guy is. And Jesus is like sit you down, finally, after all of that, after resurrection, and in verse twenty one, starting verse fifteen, he says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him uh, unto him th- again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Because I'm going to answer the question the exact same way. And he saith unto him, feed my sheep. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Now Peter, look at this. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? Maybe there was a reverberation. Maybe it was just an echo the first time that Jesus would himself. But when it gets to the third time, Peter's frustrated. He's grieved. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Which I think is an interesting change to the response. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. So, in theory, the third time is a charm. And our victory principle number one today is sometimes we think we've learned a lesson that we haven't really learned. There are so many times in our Christian walk, I am guilty of this, like, repeatedly. More than... I. it's three. It, that the apologetics number that I put on the screen today, the number, the probability. That's how many times I've messed up. Like quadr hundred thousand trillion, quadrillion times I've messed up. I am, you know, to, I guess kind of cool. Paul, the chief of sinners when it comes to knowing what I do, what I'm supposed to do and then screwing it up. I and, and it's almost always my flesh jumping out when that happens. And just about, and, and I, I'm always grieved about it. I'm always grieved in my spirit because God was so clear when he taught it through the preaching of the word, through the word itself in my own personal time, whether it's the uh, admonition of, of spiritual leaders in my life. And yet, I continue to mess up in areas that I should have learned. I do think that's why Paul calls them besetting sins each of us have things that are our biggest weakness by definition we have a biggest weakness right so I would argue the children of Israel despite having had supernatural provision in the leaving like all the plagues I don't know if you remember going through all this like we went through all the plagues and they were protected and then they finally including the Passover where like an amazing number of folks were killed they leave they go through the Red Sea God takes care of them they have no drinkable water in Merva, right? Uh, or I'm sorry in Mara. Um, and then it's made sweet. They don't have anything to eat. They get what qu- you would think by now they would have learned that they're really no different than we are. We're no different than them. We really aren't. And just when we think we've learned a lesson, often we haven't really learned it. Now, the key here is when the lesson hits you again, that you think you've learned do what George Costanza said or him and and Jerry do the opposite thing of that which you think you should do right? so if your flesh is going to lunge out against what God so do the opposite of that and trust the Lord they had the opportunity to do the opposite thing that they had been doing but we'll see they actually made it worse and so it it jumps us into our struggle today verses 2-4 to Wherefore did the people chide with Moses Give us, er, and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this, that thou hast brought us up up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? they be almost ready to stone me. <coughs> now I don't know if you picked up on it but their responses has changed this time from our previous study. In Exodus 15 they said and we can go back and look at it but I, I think you can trust me and certainly can validate it in scripture. They said what shall we drink? Like we're come up tomorrow and their waters are bitter. What are we going to do? If you will paraphrase that but in Exodus 16 they upped the ante a little bit and they said it was better in Egypt right? if we would have been by the, the fat of the, the pots and that like you brought us out here to kill us now in Exodus 17 we see a whole new level of response give us water to drink that's a subtle difference but a very important difference. Give us water to drink. Why did God bring us out here to kill us? Why did God do that? So their response has actually changed. I would argue it's gotten worse, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: not gotten better. I would argue Mm -hmm. that they're not narrowing in their, their, their lack of faith to a smaller and smaller circle where God's refining them and making them more like Jesus, if you will their sin is actually getting worse. Because they started with, what are we going to do? And now it's like, give us water to drink. And is like, why did God do this? Why did God bring us out here to kill us? And so as a result, I think the people's sin has escalated. Their, skin, their sin has escalated. Notice again the parallel here. The people murmured... Against Moses in Exodus fifteen. In Exodus sixteen the whole congregation murmured against Moses and Aaron. So now it's not just Pastor Sam's fault, it's all of us complaining about all the leadership. It's gotten worse. Now in Exodus seventeen, this is this like this really like look at back at verse two. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses. They're literally arguing with Moses. They're arguing with him. And they're murmuring against him. And then, what's a, what's an amazing concept, what is an amazing, like, I, I, I'm just like, just absolutely astonished, like, they, they're getting down to verse 7, jump, jump down to verse 7, is the Lord among us or not? Like, they're, they're, they are fundamentally questioning whether they should even follow the Lord. Now, I know I, look, I we have had in our family our fair share of challenges. I mean, there have been some dark days that we have had to face together, but I refuse to let me pull, to let those things pull me away from the Lord. I refuse it's a decision we've made I remember we were in the vehicle in Western Montana leaving Missoula before we moved there I, I, I probably could get you pretty close to the mile marker where we looked at each other and said there's no going back and we didn't mean back to, to the town or back to the gas station <laughs> you know you can't exit and then turn around that's not what I was talking about that's not what we were talking about at some point, you cross a relationship with the Lord in depth where there's no going back. You can't. I mean, you can cash it all in, but you just can't take a step back. And I'm, I, the children of Israel are not... Look, it's a, it's a type. It's an illustration. They're not there yet. And I'm going to use the word yet because we will see the Lord continue to invest in them, really for generations. And I think arguably the work is not even done with the children of Israel. But they're literally arguing with Moses now. There's finger pointing, there's blame that's going around. This, this situation has devolved from Exodus 15 and Exodus 16. When in reality, it should have gotten better. God continues to show Himself faithful. Oh, by the way, manna rained down again that morning, <laughs> and yet, and 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 yet, we're really not that much different. We're really not. The same thing. We, you know, we touched on it uh, with Peter's interaction to Jesus with Jesus, right after his resurrection. But go ahead and turn to Mark. To, to Mark. Fourteen, because I think it's worth seeing this, and I don't. I don't think it's on your. I think I had to shorten that on your mm-hmm. notes, right? You don't have those. You have the Mm-mm. references, but not the verses. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mark chapter fourteen, starting in verse sixty-eight. Well, let's. Uh, we'll back it up. We'll we'll, uh, we'll jump to sixty-six because we'll just read directly. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, "And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth." But but he denied, saying, "I know not. Neither understand I. You know, I don't, I'm just some. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, you know, I don't know. I neither do I understand." And he went out on the porch and the cock crew. And the maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood uh, by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean. I don't know if he had a name tag that said, Hi, my name is Peter, I'm from Galilee. I don't know. Somehow they knew he was Galilean. And thy speech agreeeth thereto. So he had a Galilean accent maybe? The way he was talking was clearly different than them? I don't know. But notice his response. He wasn't convicted by either of the first two encounters. He literally doubles down, or arguably triples down, and says, and he begins to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. You know, he was dropping proverbial, language bombs because that which was associated with Jesus was righteous and I'm gonna actually now chide with Moses I'm gonna I'm gonna put my finger in God's chest and say did you bring me out here to kill me no he had lots of opportunities to kill you <laughs> it's like I think it was Cosby said right about kids you can you know, don't push me. I brought you in this world. I can take you out and make another one just like you. Like God could have replaced the children of Israel, right? Is it okay to quote God? you now? I feel like there was, but like, was it wasn't. Now it's, I feel like it's okay, but I don't know. So you, we can talk about that later. But uh, still, the the dentist, the trip where he the lip over. I mean, that's still one of my favorite news, like and Uh Still so funny. What was I saying? Oh, you can kill your kids. No, you can't kill your kid to make another one just like him. But that's the threat. God could have ended the nation of Israel multiple times, and that's that's just the concept that's happened in the last few weeks. Let alone the provision that Sam's been preaching on, out of, in the book of uh, of Genesis, with respect to to Joseph. Like God's hand is all over this. And Peter doubles down or triples down in his interaction, and instead of being convicted and repenting, what's he do? He starts talking like a sailor, <laughs> because that's going to differentiate me from Jesus. I mean, it's ridiculous. But but I do it too. Like maybe I don't talk like a sailor, just not just the it you, you talk like a sailor. The point is, we all have areas in our life that are challenging that we don't respond correctly but be careful when you start upping the any more and more that's the actually the opportunity for you to back off and see that the Lord's working and soften soften your heart, humble yourself Peter dug his heels in when he should have realized I'm denying the Lord. It literally would have been better for him to have just run away and not had any interaction with people than to have continued to actually deny the Lord. Hmm. So this becomes, this was meant to be humorous, a mark on their permanent record. (laughs) A mark on their, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord. So Massa means like to argue, and Meribah means the the temptation. They were literally chiding with their leadership, arguing with their leadership, and tempting God by saying, Are you really sufficient? And as a result, all of these references, and one of the references is both places, Deuteronomy 33.8, but... They, this goes on the record. I'm not just talking about in Exodus 17.7 that it's recorded. It's referenced multiple times by other people. Well, at least most of these cases it's still Moses when he writes. But at least one time in the Psalms it's referenced. In Deuteronomy 6.16 no ye, ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. It's like literally an illustration now. In Deuteronomy 9.22 And at Tibera and Massa and kill broth hatava he provoke the lord to wrath in deuteronomy 33 8 and of levi he said let thy thummim and urim be with thy holy one whom thou didst prove at massa and with whom thou didst strive at the waters of meribah and then the references of meribah numbers twenty, thirteen. this is the water of meribah because the children of israel strove with the lord and he was sanctified in them. He's literally taking them through a growth process. In Numbers 20:24, 20, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not uh, enter into the land which I have given the children of Israel, because ye rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. In Numbers 27:14, for you rebelled against the commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation to sanctify me at the water before their eyes, That is the water of Meribah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. And then the psalm reference. Thou callest in trouble, and I delivered thee, God says. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I provided thee waters of Meribah. Like literally, he still provided, despite their chiding, despite their challenging. So our victory principle number two. Doubling down against the Lord does no good. It's going to end up on your permanent record. Don't be the guy or the gal who can't take admonition, who can't take correction, who can't take hearing from God and change their pattern. If you're doing something wrong, I think I've shared this before, I I don't particularly want to have to tell you you're doing it wrong. Because chances are you already know it's wrong. Yeah. And now we're both we're going to be in an awkward situation where I have to look at you in love to the best of my ability and say stop. I don't. I, that's not fun for me. That is not why I signed up. It's part of the pastoring, but that isn't like I would much rather say here's how we're going to grow together. than you got to stop doing that. <coughs> that's just not particularly fun. So please, when the Lord is using His Holy Spirit, or if He's ever using me, I hope that He does it at least at some point, to convict you of the way you're handling situations, the way you're dealing with the challenges that that are before you, that are before us all, don't double down in a (coughs) negative way. Because you're literally going the wrong direction. Soften your heart and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? So the victory, the part that that helps us through this situation is that Moses at least sees it. Now maybe he sees it because of the end. Oh, I already moved away from it. The end of verse, I think it's verse four. Yeah, and, and verse four. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, "What shall I do to this people? They be almost ready to stone me. Like uh, they're they're looking at rocks." You know, like on the cartoons, when they haven't eaten so long that everybody looks like a chicken leg or a snake? <laughs> <laughs> They're looking at those rocks thinking, hmm, did
1: that fit in my hand? I feel like
0: I could throw that really good. and Hit him square. Anything. I'm just going to pick that up. and hold- Like, I don't know what it was that they were doing that made Moses think they almost were ready to stone him, other than them being almost ready to stone him. But the victory here is how Moses responds to this. And it's beautiful. Verses 5 to 6. And the Lord said to Moses, so basically Moses called up the gods, like, what am I supposed to do? Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel. And then there's a semicolon. And thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink." Okay, another supernatural occurrence that just doesn't happen every day. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So the first thing he's supposed to do after obviously hearing from the Lord is he's supposed to go on before the people and take the elders. Go on before the people and take their elders. Now, what this means is to kind of like pass before the people. Arguably, it'd be like, I'm going to be over here since you're over there wanting to stone me. I'm going to be over here, okay? Let's, let's have a little distance uh, be- between us. It's far enough that they couldn't throw rocks at me. Um, but the people need to see their spiritual leaders leading. So he takes the elders with him. People need to see their spiritual leaders leading. Notice in Philippians chapter 3, Paul does this beautifully when he, in his disciples, in those he is developing in ministry, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So I'm going to go interact with the Lord and and find out what's supposed to occur. And I'm going to take some of the elders with me so that they can see. They can have this interaction. In Philippians 4.9 Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Moses doesn't back down from the fact that this is a serious situation. And he's going to have to have some time with God. He's going to have to figure out the direction that God's not. Not in his own conniving and in contriving, etc. But he's got to figure out what God's doing here. And through that process, he brings the elders at the Lord's direction so that they can be be part of the spiritual, uh, I guess I'll say solution. In 1 Thessalonians 2.20, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily, and justly and unblameably we have besa- behaved ourselves among you that believe. Sam touched on it this morning. The pastors of this church tithe. I've heard of churches where pastors don't tithe. And I it, it bothers me. And they make that kind of I guess argument, if you will, that he like, no, you all need you all need to see me doing the things that I'm saying we're supposed to do. Like I'm supposed to sacrifice for the ministry. I'm supposed to love on you guys. Like, you shouldn't... There's no Nicolaitan attitude here. I, you know... So far, Sam hasn't corrected me on this. He hasn't told me I've done anything wrong. So I'm assuming I haven't. But the pastor's meetings, there's no smoke-filled room. We're not going... (laughs) Like, there are reasonable discussions, prayerful discussions about ministry situations... Who would be good in what capacity? Why this person maybe isn't ready for this opportunity because this and what are you seeing? And and like I literally can't think of an exception where we come out of that situation with a plan for the person to move forward. <laughs> like it's it's always there's always a tone of edification. There's always a tone. But there is like we don't talk, we don't you know what? If 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 we were to record a pastor's meeting. I mean there might be a few things that might be a touch embarrassing, but we don't like we don't cuss. We don't get behind the we don't get behind the veil and now we're suddenly different people. Like that's not how it works. The way we're supposed to lead is plainly just like Moses Moses was just needing to get connection with God. God was going to show up if he just connected with the Lord. That's what the children of Israel needed to see. And the elders needed to go with them to experience it as well. So he says, go on before the people and take the elders. Now the elders needed to experience it in theory, or probably, they were the ones chiding with Moses. Right? We saw that all the, multiple times through the book of Exodus where the elders of the children of Israel had access to Moses. We saw it a couple of times in the plagues. Uh, we saw it with the, with the brick situation where the, the Egyptians were going to make it harder. And so the elders of the children of Israel are like, what are you trying to pull here, Moses? Right? What's going on here? You've made it harder on us. So there's situations where the elders of the children of Israel are the ones that have access to Moses. Probably, not dogmatically, but probably they were the very ones chiding with Moses. Now, whether they were the ones that were ready to stone him or not, uh, I'm not sure I'm there. Okay? I would like to think these folks were a little bit more spiritually minded, but the Lord tells him to bring them with him. To bring them with him. Now, they need to experience this so that they can go back and communicate it. Because clearly the people have lost faith in both God and Moses, if you will. Right? They've lost faith in God, and they don't really trust Moses at this point. So who do they trust? Well, the head of their family, the, the, the head of their, their their smaller community. So if we were to use this church as, as a similar parallel, maybe you've lost faith in God. Maybe you've lost faith in Sam as a pastor of this church. But he's gotta bring me to talk to me and show me with some of the other elders, some of which are in this room, so that we can communicate what God's doing. It's a very natural or very reasonable structure okay, for him to have brought the elders. In 1 Corinthians 4.17 For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul literally has brought he's sending Timotheus, Timothy, to Corinth to communicate a, a principle, okay, and to bring them into remembrance. But Paul's saying it's of every, it's it's just of my ways. The way I've, we actually looked at this um, on Thursday night at men's Bible study. <clears throat> we see it again in First Corinthians 16 and verse 10. Now if Timothy has come, and jump it down a little bit, for he worketh the work of the Lord as also do uh, as also as I also do. So they have been partners in ministry. And Paul is sending Timothy to Corinth, A, with a letter, B, so he can just spend time with them, so they can see how God is interacting with Paul, so that they can apply that in their life. It's a reasonable structure. He also does it in in Colossians chapter 4, in verse 9, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They shall make known, so it's Onesimus, and I can't remember who else is with him. Maybe uh, shall make known unto you all things which are done here But the reason I pulled out verse 9 he actually sends Onesimus to, uh, to Colossae because they see the people in Colossae see Onesimus as one of them they feel like they've got a connection so Paul literally grabs a guy who's been in ministry and says okay you're going to Colossae with this letter and, and again I can't remember who else he sent with him because they're going to see you. They're going to believe you. Paul. So Moses has to do the exact same thing. He's grabbing elders of the children of Israel so they can experience and they can communicate the truth. And they can see, wow, God is really showing up. Even, in, even with Moses. We can trust God. We can trust Moses. So the first thing he was supposed to do was go on before the people and take the elders. I referenced a semicolon. Then there was a second thing he was supposed to do. And he was supposed to take the rod and smite the rock. Now, this is going to be risky business later, but here he was supposed to smite the rock. And you have a blank. The same rod that he smote the river. Okay? The same rod. Notice what he's done with this rod. And, and, and I only grabbed a few of these, of these points. He only, I only grabbed a few. In Exodus 4:3, he cast the rod on the ground, and it became a serpent. He picked it back up, right? In Exodus 4:20, he took the rod in his hand. In Exodus 7:17, he smote the rod, smote with the rod upon the waters. In Exodus 7:19, take thy rod and stretch it uh, out, and stretch out thine hand. In Exodus 7:20, lifted up the rod and smote the waters. Exodus 14, 16, lift, up, uh, lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thy hand. So, this is something that is should not have been a surprise to Moses that God was going to use the rod again. And I don't mean like, the rod, like we might think of giving our kids the rod again. But I'm talking about God is using that which Moses is very familiar with. Okay? In 1 Samuel 17, there's a great picture here. In 1 Samuel 17, we see the children of Israel are facing the the army of the Philistines and Goliath has challenged them and looking for someone that can stand up against Goliath, right? And David shows up to deliver lunch and he's like, I can do it. I'll take on the Goliath. He's, He's nothing compared to my God. And what happens in 1 Samuel 17 when they decide uh, Saul and others decide okay David's going to do this they literally gird upon David armor that probably didn't even fit him because he was a young man he wasn't seen as a military aide if you will otherwise he probably would have been out there I realize he was back tending the sheep but he was not seen through the lens of a military fire. okay? In part, probably because of it. maybe. Because of it. So they put on him all this armor, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he had seen him to go. He decided not to do that. He was holding going. Why? For he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them and David put them off what's he take with him
1: a sling, a sling
0: and some stones and there's a whole debate on whether the other stones are for Goliath's brothers and, um, and the, the bag is a potential second sling and that you can get all, and all that and it's all great all wonderful uh, but David chose that which he was familiar with that which he had seen God use before right? And God's doing the exact same thing with Moses. He's like, take the rod that you smote the river with. Take the tool of ministry you're comfortable with. We have a, a ministry principle here when it comes to missions. Key men, key cities, key tools. That's a principle we're not going to let that get in the way of the Lord's leading. But we think the Lord has called men to pastor churches. So it's got to be key men. And we can't talk about key cities because that's the pattern we see in Scripture that to establish churches that will rep- uh, uh, reproduce other churches, that happens in key commercial, educational, um, uh, geographical in some cases, theological, philosophical centers in in the early New Testament. So, key cities. We're praying. Not that doesn't that doesn't always equal big cities, right? But Kansas. I, I heard a pastor preach. Year. This is. Oh my gosh. This has been more than years ago.
1: A long time ago.
0: <laughs> he was not from here. He said, "If I was going to plant a church to reach the world." I would plant it in Kansas City. And I said, I, that, I did exactly what you did. Mm-hmm. Because it's the center of the United States. It's the hub that you can get anywhere in the United States quickly, and you can reach the world from Kansas City. And I, I remember thinking, it's never been Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> but that stuck with me, obviously, because it's my hometown. And I think that's exactly what the Lord's doing. He's reaching the world from a place here, right? I probably wouldn't have picked Kansas City as a strategic hub, right? But it is, uh, they say if you, take the ge- if you lay out the map and you put the population, the center of the population, there's a dot, and the geographic or, or land mass center and put another dot and you connect those dots, it goes right through Kansas City. Like, we are as heart of America as America comes. And I don't say that because we want to be good Americans, but because we can get anywhere. It's a key city. Okay? But God's done some amazing things in Harrisonville, and Clinton, Missouri, and, and Monmouth, Illinois, and these places that maybe aren't on your radar. Right? Aren't, aren't on, your, on your geographic radar. But they're key cities for some reason. Our philosophy is key cities are almost tied, always tied to heavy university populations and heavy international student populations. Because we are seeing the ability to reach the world, Kenya, Vietnam, other places that might be forthcoming, because people have been here and then they go home. Okay, They've gotten trained here and they go home to their, their geographic home. So, so key men, key cities, key tools. What are our key tools? When we look down and the Lord says, use that which is in your hand. Take the rod that you're familiar with, that you smoke the waters with, that you've thrown down and picked up, that you've held over the Red Sea, the tools in your hand. Obviously, it's a Bible, but it's going to be ministries, like discipleship, friends of internationals. Like Those are our kind of our key key philosophical ministry tools that we're going to use And our third ministry or our third victory principle today is minister with those you know and with what you know. That's how this situation this hard situation is overcome a situation with no water for the second time, third time no water food like serious need. Again, very serious need, very real need. But the third time it's overcome, even though it's escalated, people are now chiding with Moses and arguably trying to stone him or talking about it. The solution to that is get close to the Lord, take people with you that need to learn in ministry, and take that which you're familiar with, and the Lord will show up. He smites the rock, and water flows. Now, evidently, and, and I don't know if I showed it when we were early in Exodus, there is a, a, a rock, a big rock, on Mount Horib that is split right down the middle. Where evidently Moses hit it and water flowed from it. I don't know if that's like, like I don't know. It's it looks it looks dry to me now. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I would uh, do an apologetics one on one on that. But what I do know is it's recorded and the Lord showed up. So minister with those that you know and with what you know. And then the last thing we need to look at is in Exodus 17 and verse 7. He called the name of the place Ma- uh, Massah and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel. We already talked about that because they tempted the Lord. But this is how they tempted the Lord. Saying, is the Lord among us or not? the Lord among us or not? And I think that is the decision you have to make. So there's a victory in the decision. Moses had made the decision. The Lord was among them. They, I'm not sure, had made that decision. (coughs) They were questioning God's presence in in the sheer asking of the question. So that is the decision put forth before you today. Is the Lord among us or not? Is he blessing the fruit of our work? Is he with us as we study scripture and we we teach it to each other in the form of discipleship and mentorship and counseling and all the different things that we do around here? Is the Lord among us or not? And if you're not sure if the Lord is among us, then I think you've got a couple of decision points. You've got a a couple of evaluations that you need to uh, to do to make that decision. I believe that he is. So, one, maybe you're not saved and the Lord isn't in you, right? Maybe you can't even evaluate the situation properly because you've never received the Lord as your Savior. You're still in your sins. You've not exchanged your sin for His righteousness. It's called propitiation, right? The the swapping of our sin for His righteousness. It was a sacrifice He willingly made so if you've not done that, if you've not confessed with your mouth that you're a sinner and to the Lord and said, look, I need a Savior. I can't do this in and of myself. I need your salvation. I need your covering my sin. That's the first decision. Because you're always going to be in your sin. You're never going to be able to get out of that cycle of sin until you first make that decision. If you've made that decision and you're questioning, is the Lord among us or not? I would argue he has shown up multiple times. He has shown up in ministry. He has shown up in his word. He has shown up in your salvation. He has shown up in, in circumstance and scenarios in your life. He has he has protected you. I don't remember what happened a few weeks ago. I was like something. It was a car situation. I think it like it was a weird deal. Like I could have died. I feel like I should have died. It wasn't like you know, just like a car was kind of crazy or something, and I don't remember what what the situation was, but I was just like, wow, that was that was kind of close you know, like he's protected us, ways we don't even know about like we prayed before the service today that nobody would would come in and do anything evil maybe there is a guy that has walked down the street with a gun, and this church has been completely blinded to him or he's yeah he couldn't see us. Right. I like, I don't know. I don't know what the Lord has done to protect you and your life and protect us as a people. But I can see the Lord's work all over y'all, yeah. every one of you. As I look out, and some of you I know very well, and some of you I don't know really that well at all. But you're here. Your heart's still beating. You're able to. You're, this is amazing, you're able to take light rays, they bounce off of scripture, go in your eyeballs and you understand concepts. That's pretty cool in and of itself. The last 20 seconds and the last hour, your heart's been beaten and I'm pretty sure you didn't even think about it. Blood's been flowing and oxygen's been getting to all your cells and your brain's been ticking along and you didn't do one thing about that. God, at the very least, God still got you alive. I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. The Lord is among us. So you have to make the decision, whether it's a decision of salvation or a decision of consecration, sanctification, full commitment to the Lord. But I'm begging you, let's leave the challenges behind where when you are faced with, oh my gosh, I'm out of water again. Give me water, Lord. And then you argue with the man of God who has sacrificed to get you to that point, to participate in that walk with you. Like, like the Lord's taking care of you. I beg you, change your paradigm. Change your paradigm. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. We're going to start seeing, or we going to continue seeing, different challenges as, that face the, the, the children of Israel. That challenges of maturity that they're all going to have to take, that Moses is going to have to take. And I know each of you has a next step in your spiritual walk. I don't know what it is. It might be baptism. It might be signing up for discipleship. It might be coming on Tuesday night to one of the mission trip meetings. It could be, I don't know, committing to LFBI. It could be any number. Like, there's Like there's a step for each of you. I know it. I know it. I beg you, stop living in the patterns that you've been living in and change that paradigm and start trusting that the Lord is among us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the depth of it. Lord, I believe it's clear. I don't believe I've I've manipulated it in any way or 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 packaged it in any false manner that you didn't intend. I pray that lord that you would just use your holy spirit and just teach the things the things that i either said or more importantly the things that were in scripture that you just use your holy spirit to to allow us to focus on those things and make decisions about what we're going to do tangible practical decisions so that we don't keep living this life a cycle of just disappointment in you but looking through the lens of your provision. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for our sins. It's truly amazing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You guys have a great week in love with you.